was nothing real. You were real. That's what made you so good to watch. Listen to me, Trina. There's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you. Same lies. The same deceit. But in my world, you have nothing to fear. I know you better than you know yourself. You never had a camera in my head. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Slowinski. And I'm Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, dare I say. And I will say it. You didn't dare me, but I will proceed as if it was a dare and say that I'm doing fantastic. I'm I'm here. I'm alive, evidently. Uh, maybe I'm not. Maybe this voice recording is... I've died in between, and you're hearing a dead man's voice right now. <laughs> That's funny, Ryan Slowinski. <laughs> quick, quick, he's realizing he's in the Matrix. <laughs> so, Bartek, we're spitting Polish. Why is that? We are spitting Polish because we are always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. Ubi gubi Kwanzaa. There you go. <laughs> that was Polish for Big Fat Liar. <laughs> I know a guy who was in that movie who was on a movie we're going to talk about soon. Ooh. Ooh, I didn't know Frankie Muniz was in Truman's show. No, Amanda so, Bynes. Oh, yeah, that's right. She played Kristoff. Yes. So, <laughs> we are doing a show, Pictures Power, in which we talk a movie about a movie that has come recommended. Uh, Bartek recommended the movie for this one. You can read it in the title, but Bartek, recollect us with what movie you've chosen. Recollect us. Hmm. I picked The Truman Show, which I think's from 1998. Wow, I feel like you really recollected that really well for us. Recollect is my action. It is his verb. It's my verb. So we are talking... As I learned in university. Yeah, you only learned what a verb was in university. Really says... No, no, what an action is. Oh, so... Well... You must have been lost with the whole genre of movies. Yeah. So we are talking Truman Show. If you have not seen it, watch it. We're going to talk about it, spoil it, review it, discuss it. It's been out for decades. You can watch it. Just go ahead. Jim Carrey in a more serious-natured role. Uh, Christoph is played by Ed Harris. I I know now. Last Mm. episode, I was struggling to remember what his name was. But I know that he played pretty much the exact same character in Snowpiercer, and I'll talk about that later too. Okay. Uh, Bartek, why? Why? Why did I put this blight upon us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did you? <laughs> why did you put this stone on my neck? <laughs> I picked this film because it's one that I've always been interested in. Uh, mm. My history with it is that once upon a time I was watching uh, an Australian. I guess it's a show called 20 to 1. They were doing... Uh... Which is the, which was a televised version of Watch Mojo, but before Watch Mojo, like the countdown list, and it was like to 20 to 1. Yeah. And instead of like a sexy disembodied woman's voice, <laughs> we had the sexy Burt Newton with his toupee <laughs> and his zany jokes and cutaways to random Z-list celebrities who had to give their two cents on whatever the fucking choice was. Quality yeah. television. Yeah, that's how I remember it. It's in itself. It was the Truman Show, wasn't it? <laughs> Watching these it, poor celebrities it was, be forced to talk about stuff. It was reality. 
and it was a show. So you saw 20 to 1 long, long ago. Yes. In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, in my house. Yeah. <laughs> so you think. So I think. It was actually my mum's house, yeah. Yeah. You don't have a house. No, I don't. You're, you're what we call a leech. Leech. I call it a moocher. Yeah, homeless. Some might, some might say. Well, no, I have a home, but it's, well, it's not out, of, out of mooching, though. Yeah, out of mooching, yeah. sure. I mean, the homeless have a home, too, by mooching. On my streets. Your, my streets. Your streets. <laughs> Hello, I'm Prime Minister Scott Morrison here. Are you sure that your home is not mooching off the streets? Well, I, I come from the streets, so it's all good. So you were saying 20 to 1, great yes, show. It was an episode on, I think, the best movie catchphrases or something like that. Oh, yes. And for this one, they picked uh, good morning, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good, good evening, evening, and, and good, good night. Um, and then you had to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then a celebrity was like, it was fantastic. Celebrity. Bold statement. Australian celebrity, so, you know, it's a bit of a contradiction. Person on TV who happens to be <laughs> Australian, yeah. When it cut away from Burt Newton. Yeah. Um, True icon. And obviously, yeah, the line didn't really resonate with me much, but they explained, like, the concept of the film. You know, it's mm. about a guy who doesn't realise that his life is a TV show and it's mm. basically the end of this TV show where he's realised and he's moved on. And that yeah. concept always interested me Interested me in it. Um, and then a few years later, I picked up the DVD and I watched it. And? And I really, really enjoyed it. It's one that I've watched a few times, not too many. I think this might be my fourth or fifth time watching it. Mm. Um, but it's one that I've shown a few people, you know, watched it with them. Mm. And... It, it's really, it's like I'm not super passionate about it in a weird way. It's yeah. it's one that I just really enjoy watching. I don't like I don't get super hyped about it, but it's, I just it's a solid movie, and you're like, hey, it's a solid movie. I like watching it, but it's not one that you're living and breathing every moment of. Where you're like, oh man, that fucking movie. Yeah, like... but but when I do watch, it, I'm like, yeah, I'm watching the Truman Show. I love you so much because that <laughs> whole way you describe this movie. Because of how, like, in a weird way, you exist so heavily in the norm and outside of it, where you're like, yeah, of course I know what this iconic thing is. But then so many things, you're like, I have never heard of this, it's like it never exists, and it's like in your world, this cultural touchstone doesn't exist, so it's not a cultural touchstone. And the way you just described it, it's like, oh yeah, and then I showed it to some other people, and it's like, to me, it's like, it's like you kind of found. Oh, a, I, I found a, a an hidden, obscure gem. <laughs> but it's it's one of the most like beloved movies of that decade, and is probably considered to be Jim Carrey's one of his best movies. Mm, yeah. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking, wow, he found this through twenty to one. Like, do you think that there are so many iconic movies out there that you have yet to watch because you haven't been keeping up to date with Watch Mojo's recommendations <laughs> for movies to keep you invested to see? Maybe I should check out. I don't think I've ever watched the Watch Watch Mojo. Uh, wow. Watch Mojo video. Twenty to one hasn't talked about it. Well, the Truman Show is made by an Australian, mm. Peter Weir. Yep. Who did Gallipoli? He did, of course, Picnic at Hanging Rock, the famous movie where nothing happens, mm -hmm. except for a bunch of girls wonder about the fucking woods. I mean, it is a cultural touchstone movie, that, because that inspired the whole genre of people wandering around in the woods. What a great genre that is. Um, thanks for Blair Witch. <laughs> 
So I've watched this movie many times. I grew up with this movie. It was always on television. Out of the movies on TV, Liar Liar and Truman Show were always the Jim Carrey movies that were on. Always those two. The others, The Mask and uh, Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura, they weren't on as much because I think they were a little bit more risky and adult in comparison to in, in comparison to something like Liar Liar, which has some risque moments, but not really. It's kind of silly, goofy about a dad learning a lesson. As much as those other movies are silly and goofy and kids love them, there is lots of adult moments, let's say, you know. Mm. Um, and The Truman Show is just one of those movies where it's like it's a prestigious movie and TV is just going to play it all the time. Like how they always play Terminator 2 all the time. So this is one that's been hammered into me. I love the film, I do. But I don't revisit it a lot myself just because it's one of those ones I grew up with. Like I haven't revisited the Austin Powers movies in I don't know how long now. Because I grew up with those movies as well. And I love those movies as well. But I'm not rushing to watch them anytime soon because it's as if they've never left. The Truman Show, although one I do love and have enjoyed, like you said, it's not one that I'm like, yeah, The Truman Show. It's like one of those movies that when it's on, I'm hooked in. I'm in for the ride. But it's not one that I'm like, hey, guys, let's watch The Truman Show because I don't know what it is. I think it's because it's one of those movies that's deceptive. Well, not deceptive, but it is one of those ones where, oh, yeah, that's right. This movie's kind of fucking depressing Mm. in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. fucked up. Yeah, it's got a bit of a psychological edge to it because it's essentially a guy uncovering a conspiracy centered around himself. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Finding out his life is a lie. It's also, as you said, he's... You already said the plot of this, a guy who's unknowingly in a TV show, a reality show that's all about him, the Truman Show, and a part of the narrative, too, that makes it depressing, and the film brings this up, is the fact that the society has progressed to this way where most of the world is 100% on board for this cruel, inhuman, disrespectful prison situation that is his life mm-hmm. where he's happy in his cage or what you consider to be that or his cell and it's like <laughs> this is sci-fi dystopia distilled down pretty well while still being a fun vehicle for Jim Carrey to run around and make faces and do voices because the real reason that this movie lives on the way it does outside of what a brilliant premise it is and the direction it's because this was Jim Carrey's real first successful or noteworthy foray into breaking away from his goofy image Mm -hmm. and showing us all that he can actually act and that he can actually portray characters and not caricatures and that is why this movie lasts so long what do you think about that I I agree. I was watching some of the special features on my DVD, and both Jim Carrey and a lot of the other actors who worked on the film talked about how when it started off, you know, it was this case of like, oh, the comedic guy's doing a dramatic film. Mm. Um, But he was very humble about it. Like, apparently on set, he would always, you know, make reference to the fact that like, hey, this is my first time doing this. You guys need to, you know, help me with this or things like that. So, and... 
it was him breaking away from what he normally does while still kind of playing to his strengths, like coming up yeah. with, you know, gags to do or improvised. Yeah, it's not Robin Williams in one hour photo where it's like a complete 180 on what you know of them. It is still incorporating his manic energy, his over the top voice and facial expressions and uh, that kind of childlike charm that he brings to most roles. You still have all of that, but it's. It's aimed towards something actually um, philosophical and mm. meaningful and heartfelt rather than making us laugh and smile, which in itself is very meaningful and important. But overall, he isn't doing live-action Looney Tunes in this. Mm. Yeah, in fact, there's a lot of footage in this film of him, I guess, being be- being between moments where he's need to be focused on. What I mean is, like, him walking through the streets not realising that anyone's paying attention to him, and you get these, yeah. like, kind of seedy camera angles, and mm. you yourself are kind of watching this guy's like, oh, I watched this guy to laugh, but now I'm kind of watching him and he doesn't know. It's... Yeah, and now he's Dr. Robotnik. So it's really gone well for him, huh? Yeah, that movie had a weird ending. Yeah, right? It's really weird at the end of the Truman Show, he walks out the door and then he becomes Dr. Robotnik and he gets like the big goofy glasses and the big moustache and everything. It's very odd. And he goes, that I t- can't believe this! <laughs> it's very odd how that movie twists and turned, huh? Mm. Very strange. And Kristoff turned into Sonic. No, Kristoff obviously turned into Tails. Ah. Sonic was us, the audience. I haven't seen the movie. Was Tails in the, the Sonic no. movie? No, no. I don't think so, <laughs> okay. but we can dream. Uh, so, yeah, this movie lives on the strength of seeing a comedic actor break free of that restraint and show us that there's more. Peter Weir has done that a couple of times in his career. He did it with Robin Williams in one of his previous movies as well, I'm pretty sure. He's done it with Jim Carrey. What is satisfying to you as a viewer, as well as a performer, seeing someone like a Jim Carrey or a Robin Williams or so on and so forth go beyond just being the funny man that makes you laugh and go into something more dramatic. If it is someone who you fundamentally believe is mostly a funny man who makes you laugh, mm. seeing them do something else and succeed at it is... It's, it's very inspiring it's very interesting it, it's it's something worth checking out because you're seeing that these people are capable of a lot more than what they're known for yeah there's an underdog quality to it because comedy is like as we mentioned in previous episodes like sci-fi like fantasy comedy is the we all enjoy it, but it's something we don't look at, at as highly as something like a, a dramatic actor. Like You don't look at someone like Jim Carrey and say, oh, that's someone who deserves an Oscar in comparison to someone like Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis is doing this dramatic movie over here. Oh, oh, it's so serious. And like that's talking about the human condition. And with the craft of comedy, we know it's a very hard craft to hone and it's very masterful and there's lots of intricacies. 
but it's still looked down upon, even though we all enjoy it, it's still looked down upon. So the idea that someone who's in the low end of things of comedy can crawl their way above it and go into the serious big boy area of drama is seen as some kind of achievement. And I fall prey to that. I always get a kick out of seeing these uh, comedy actors turn dramatic. But it's always funny to see when it's the other way around and how that often fails more of seeing your more leading actors or dramatic actors or your more Hollywood actors try to do comedy mm-hmm. and absolutely bomb. <laughs> That's why I liked when we discussed Intolerable Cruelty all those years back where we talked about George Clooney, where George Clooney have this idea, but it's like, but that guy's really good at comedy. He knows how to be a goofball and really play into what comedy strengths he, he actually has. Yeah, I always thought of him as being you know kind of straight manning, but then I thought of all the things I'd seen where he's doing comedy and he does it well. Yeah, and same with Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt does a great job of knowing how to lean into comedy as as well but you don't hear them get applauded as strongly for that because it's like well that's just them stepping down the pedestal and (laughs) having a little foray into the goofy territory oh look George Clooney's acknowledging that he's so handsome it's kind of funny and all of that well it's like meanwhile Jim Carrey here is crying oh my god that must have taken a lot of work for someone like him to do it's like I don't know, he still worked in movies, he cried and he in, has acted. He cried in Ace Ventura. And The Mask. So, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was really sad in that one. Yeah, so um, I get a kick out of seeing Jim Carrey do serious stuff too, because unlike Robin Williams, Robin Williams, it isn't as shocking to me, because there was always something behind him that you could see he was a good actor a really good actor Mm. it wasn't just oh he's coked up and he's spilling a million lines that there was always strong evidence that he could do something like a goodwill hunting or he could do something like one hour photo so when he actually did that it wasn't so shocking to me it was just like i wish he would do that more well jim carrey i will admit it is a bit of a surprise that he he has this range within him because he to me, he's not one of my favorite comedic actors. Everyone loves him. I do too, but he's not one that I my heart calls to a lot. He's always there. He's always been in my life in these movies, but he's not one that I, I get a kick out of. But I always think of him, yeah, as the silly guy who is often screaming and throwing his hands in the air. Making funny faces. And then you see him in a movie like this, and he still does that, yet at the same time, he, he does know how to pull on your heartstrings and tug at them, and the material helps that, obviously, because mm-hmm. this material he's working with here is just something that hits the human condition, which is this idea that uh, we're trapped, and our lives are a fake, or there's some big conspiracy going on, or the world isn't right... Or my life isn't going in the going in the direction I want it to be in. Those are all things that we as humans on an everyday basis can understand, right, Bartek? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So seeing someone break free of it and realize the big conspiracy of it all and make the choice for themselves is is an uplifting hero's journey that we all like to see happen on screen. Yeah, even the... um, Because this film does a lot of cutaways to people watching the in-universe show. Um, And, you know, they're lifelong fans of the show. Even when, at the end, he breaks away from it, they're happy for him. They're completely invested in where he's gone. And then they change the channel and show that it was only momentary investment and that they're 
moving on to whatever yeah. next <laughs> as big product. As, as big as it was, they were quick to move on. It kind of reminded me of uh, the whole thing with Game of Thrones not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about the sci-fi nature of this movie? Because it is a sci-fi idea, right? Like, mm-hmm. this idea is in this... Ice, like this completely controlled environment where there's a million cameras watching him and although it is in spaceships and lasers it's, it does hit those sci-fi themes especially the questioning of ethics and morality and using technology and this idea of what is it to be human is still applied in this especially with Christoph who's playing this god-like figure and he's deluded himself yeah, and he's when the christ of this world and when and when um harry shearer shows up he feels like he's from robocop like he feels like one of those infomercial news people from the world of robocop where he's mm. just joyfully talking about all these things that we recognize are horrifying terrifying do like morally degrading things that the the, mm. the society has fallen yeah, into, but, but he's like it's pretty great. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting too because his aesthetic is less so you know businessman in a suit and more like an artist mm. going really too far. Yeah, an artist, uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Steve Jobs. A he's Steve got, Jobs type. He's got the glasses, the hat. He speaks with passion. Those cold blue eyes that just pierce into your soul (laughs) when he finally talks to truman there's like a menacing warmth to his voice yeah there's a loving quality but he's like a stern father yeah he's like i love you but you gotta do what's right get back in the get back in the show kind of like a great father archetype he gives him life but he was also willing to take it away at the end but how did it uh, affect you as a as a viewer? This kind of all these themes and ideas that are that are brought up in the movie. Did it make you feel hopeful? Make you feel sad? Make you feel existential? What's what, what bubbles to you? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I keep thinking of like the the shot of Christoph looking because his base is uh, his uh control room his control room is like behind the moon yeah. in the sky set that that's a really good like little image when it like zooms in and you can just see him i like when the moon became it. a spotlight and it was shining everywhere trying to find truman that yeah, was a great the, image yeah too. the whole thing at the end when truman's gone missing and everyone's like looking through the town like artif- very artificial things are happening if this was yeah. the real world it just really felt like the, the world was breaking apart and mm. It almost makes you want to follow Truman through that experience, but mm-hmm. yeah, just on its own, it, it was yeah this crazy thing. the 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 sci fi elements led very well into the psych- psychological parts of the film. Just yeah, it's 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 hard to know where to begin with this. Um, mm. There was something I was going to mention, but then it just slipped my mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. When the film ends, mm-hmm. I know we're jumping ahead, but when the film ends and you've been, you've counted all these things, you see the magnificent hero's journey, him awakening and finding out what's going on and defying the rules and breaking the clouds mm. and walking out and being happy and then they change the channel and and all that and the ratings have been the best they've ever been when it was just the screen. Yeah, yeah. What's your feeling when you walk, when the film ends? What were you left feeling when it was done? I I liked the fact that we don't really see what happens next because mm-hmm. throughout the whole film 
the only views we had of the outside world were from the perspectives of things that were on TV mm. or I guess what the TV was facing as in people watching the TV you don't yeah. you don't really see too much of like what's actually happening in the outside world mm. and it really centers in hones in on the fact that all we're seeing is this fake world that mm. Truman is on slash the fake world of television productions. Mm. So even though it would be interesting to see like, oh, you know, what what Truman, what's the first thing Truman did when he left? How did his life progress? I guess the film wants you to hone in on the feeling of hope that Truman's now out of this situation mm. and that whatever happens next, at least it's, you know, it's it's in his hands. You get a more sense of hope out of it. I I don't know about hope, but this is the way things are meant to be, in a way. Oh, for Truman, yeah. Yeah. He's meant to be free. He's meant to live his life. I walk away from the film with an extreme sense of sadness and mm. uh, dread because how fucked up the world of it is and how that reflects on our, upon our society and the fact that they changed the channel and it's like, oh, well, this inhumane act was just a momentary distraction and now we're moving on to the next distraction. And Christoph, I don't think, fully learns a lesson. Like, I think he kind of understands what's going on, but he seems... Like how could how could this not work? How did he how could he defy me? I gave him the perfect world, and uh, how could he? He feels betrayed. Yeah, he was convinced that Truman doesn't want to leave. Uh and yeah, and he thought he knew best. And Truman's gonna go off, but it's like this just general sense of fucking dread of just how the world works and how that reflects upon us about how we were actually talking about this. After we finished recording last episode, it wasn't even related to the Truman Show. We were just chatting about numerous things, and we were chatting about reality shows at one point, and I oh, was yeah, we talking were. about some reality show and how a part of the joy I got got out of watching that was how the show's whole premise and the people in charge of the show were inadvertently um, mentally, de- uh, mentally torturing the people contest the contestants of the show mm. and and harming them and that was kind of like a weird joy to watch the show even though i know that's wrong and i know that there's manufactured stuff in a reality show obviously but it's a weird sick human condition it's, that it's not is, happening to me is present yeah. yeah this second hand like yeah like that's fucked up but also like look at them fall kind of deal and that's what the Truman Show is exploring in a, in many ways. People are celebrating the fact that he's escaping and figuring it all out, but at the same time they've been complicit in the fact and joyful and very happy in the fact that he hasn't for 30 years. Mm. And they've enjoyed his, in a way, failures because they enjoy when the show succeeds in stopping him from escaping. And in turn, that's them celebrating the fact he's failed to obtain freedom. Mm. That's how I look at it. It makes me very depressed because boy, oh boy, when this movie happened, that was before the big, big, big boom of reality TV, before all the Big Brother shows and Survivor. Like, all this stuff was just happening, but I always think of that as, like, 2000s, 
when the 2000s hit, that was like everything. And now it seems like reality shows still exist, but they're less of a zeitgeisty thing than they used to be. It's like there's just so many of them now. The ones that I mainly hear about are the ones that have been going for a little while, like the Bachelor ones yeah, and, and, and like Love that. Island and stuff. But it seems like the the way that we view reality shows now that we're used to them now has lessened in the intensity. Like I remember the days in which it's like SMS this number to vote this person off, and people would be doing it. It's like who's going to win Australian Idol, and like who's going to mm. who's going to be in the Big Brother house next week, and let's watch them do these gladiatorial fights to see who can stay. And it's like, and we as viewers would watch it because it was it was what was on. I remember I never watched any of that stuff, but I knew so many people that did, and just hearing mm-hmm. all that stuff, I was like, is this real? Like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, is this, is this society? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Truman Show, the movie, perfectly evokes all of that stuff. Um, and the trivia and the little documentary on the DVD can talk all it likes about the things that never got to be in the movie that makes the situation less or more disgusting morality-wise. But at the end of the day, the movie's here, and that's what we got. Yeah. And it's like, the thing that just sticks to me is the most um, emotion... One of the most emotional scenes is when his best friend... Best friend. is like, well, that means I would be in on it too. That whole speech, and you get Christophers feeding him all the yeah, lines, and, and uh, you're like, oh, Jesus and, Christ. And aside aside from the fact that the film opens on Christoph, that's like the first time you see him in the story. Mm. So just like, and that's also the sort of turning point where we focus a little less on Truman. And until more on the, the outside world. Yeah, it's, it's just this really like, oh, disgusting thing. Because before that, you had a lot of scenes with that best friend character. Yeah. And you didn't really know whether or not he was being fed lines or anything like that. Mm. And But you did understand that, like, oh, but he's been doing this best friend role for a while. So there is, in a way, something a little bit genuine there. So when you get that scene where he's, like, emotionally giving this thing, it's like, oh, man, this you know, quote-unquote actors really improvising this really touching... All this thing. feels like this is genuinely how he feels, but then yeah. he has to, he knows he has to feed into the lie of the show, but then... Then you see Christoph feeding him the exact emotional lines and, like, how he processed them for a few seconds, then he delivers on them, and it's like, oh, God. He might change a slight variant of a word here and there. Yeah. I like that little touch, because uh, that's what we actors do sometimes. Mm. I... It's because his friend feels like the only person in the world that actually likes him. Yeah. His wife doesn't like him. The mother doesn't actually like him. The dad doesn't really care either. He cares for his own means. The people at work don't actually... None of these people actually care for him as as a person. And his friend seems to care the most. Yeah. Like he seems like it. And then when it's like the thing that's nailing that, really hammering that home, you cut to, oh wait, no, that's just him being fed this information by the guy who's invested in keeping the show alive because he wants to hit the next milestone. Mm. He wants to hit the next big commercial beats and get more sponsors and get money and more prestigious stuff. Like no one actually cares about Truman except for the girl. Who got yeah. kicked out of the show? But then I got to ask you: Does she actually care for who he is? Does does the what was her name again? I'm forgetting her name. Sylvia. Sylvia. Do, do you think she actually cares about Truman as a person? 
I think for what the film shows us, it leads us to that assumption. But also the film shows us that she cares for the cause. The cause of this is inhumane and wrong and you should free him. Mm-hmm. And she has like all these posters on her wall. Like she's got a movement. Yeah. But does that mean she actually... Because this is how cynical the movie is. It makes me question these things. Does she actually care about the man himself or a person... Or does she care about the inhumane treatment that this person is going through? Like, does she care about him as a man? Or does she care about the idea of what he's going through? Well, the two things that I would bring up are, one, um, she was an extra on the show before we found out any of this. So there's this implication that her feelings for Truman inspired her to start up this movement. Yeah. And two, when Truman is leaving the dome and she's, Mm. like, running down the stairs, putting on her jacket, she looks pretty happy. Like, I think those two things... The first one's more of a theory, but the second one kind of leans into it. See, me being cynical, cynical, I think of her phone call with Kristoff. And that phone call, you could see it in so many different ways, but a part of the way that I see it is... She's arguing for a different ideological point mm-hmm. to what Christoph is offering. She's kind of, in a way, arguing that uh, it's like Truman figuring it out and escaping proves her point about the human condition over Christoph's point about the human condition. Mm-hmm. Where Christoph kind of sees us in a more cynical, pathetic way where we need to be controlled and we need this kind of stuff and she and you know, like I and your life's better under my vision of it. And she has that whole thing of, well, well, he's gonna prove you wrong. And there's that part of it it's like, well, she staked her whole entire integrity and life on the idea that Truman is gonna prove them wrong. And that also makes me question of, does she actually care about Truman the man or what Truman represents? Because in the world, nobody cares about if Truman is being tortured in a way. She's the only one. So in a way, she's a pariah mm-hmm. of this society. And if the actual thing that she's a pariah of proves her right, then she's credible again. I guess there's also the bit where... During the Christoph interview, they showed two moments in the show's history where outside mm. people tried to... Um... And they were doing it for selfish reasons. There was the one guy who popped out of the Christmas present and he was, like, drunk or whatever, and he's, like, screaming, I got on the Truman Show! Woo! And mm. then the other one who parachutes in... That I don't know if they were sincere either, but yeah, they Yeah, the make, second like, one, maybe. Maybe, but not so much. And then the dad, know. the dad secretly coming into the show just did it because he was upset with how he got rode out of the show how, he doesn't actually care about yeah, Truman whatever either. whatever he was feeling when he first appeared like the next time we see him it's clearly just like he's been bored out he's back in the show so yeah even his integrity was more for his career it seems and that's why i have to question it because the film has so many people be proven to be self driven and Mm self-motivated and or driven to keep the lie going 
And she obviously is the beacon of hope. I, I, I'm not trying to say that she isn't, but these are the things that pop into my brain when yeah. I watch this movie. Because this movie... It's a movie that only gives you pieces. It's pushing you into certain areas that are darker than you want to be in mm. with this aesthetic, with this idea of, oh, it's a Jim Carrey movie where he lives in 1950s land and his wife is making jokes about product placement and she's, oh, she's a nurse and they have to pretend to cut this guy's, you know, like... All that wacky stuff. You want to be in that more, but then the film isn't afraid. That's what I love about it. The film isn't afraid to go deep. You're given this pitch of what it is, and you go, oh, that that could be funny. Mm-hmm. And the film's like, for a time it will be. And then it will be sad and existential. Then the main character you're meant to like is going to have a knife to someone's throat. Yeah. Yeah. And Kristoff is going to try and drown him just to prove a point. <laughs> you know yeah he, he was doing the whole thing of like I gave him life so why can't I take his I can take it away yeah. I can cancel this show if I want mm. and then obviously they the goal is they want him to conceive a child so that this can just keep going yeah and going and going and going and going and you get the feeling like no one would care no one cares if that if they succeeded like in terms of this is wrong yeah they'll watch it they'll watch it yeah this is oh man this is a great and like this is the stuff i love talking about because we could talk endlessly about how funny it is the sequence of events when he starts to realize things are fake and him and his wife laura you know them back and forth and how she hates him all that stuff's great and jim carrey's comedy moments are are wonderful but this is like the joy of the Truman Show because it has all that stuff there, but it has all this stuff here too. It's a film that isn't afraid to be more than just entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's a thinking film. It's a it's a film that isn't afraid to let the audience think about things. Hence, you don't know what happens to him once he leaves. You can make it up in your brain. You can go, oh, him and her met up and they lived happily ever after. But also, you're like, but this is a film, too, where you'll be 100% okay to believe maybe he doesn't find, and if they do, he's going to be psychologically fucked, and, well, maybe they have... Is the show going to continue? Are they going to get a new baby and just start the whole fucking thing over again? Is the world actually going to change? Probably not. They'll just change the channel and move on to the next product. Kind of like Idiocracy. Mm. Except for Idiocracy was more hopeful. Yeah, I guess this this movie, The Truman Show, is uh, it's like an episode in a grand uh, show about the world that this is in. It's like, mm. in this crazy world, there was this one TV show where a guy didn't know that his life was a TV yeah, show. Yeah, like and, Twilight Zone. And this is the story about how, you know, he found out about that and left. Mm-hmm. And then that story will be told, then the m- world will move on, not much different. Did you have a favorite moment, a scene or sequence? Um, there's a thing that the best friend character, mm. a thing that you did with him that I really enjoyed, where they had him do the same thing in two different scenes, but the tone was very different for both. Yeah. Actually, in a sense, they were kind of the same tone, but it... The implications. The implications, and, and it kind of like betrayed what they were going for. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is... um. There are two moments where he comes to Truman's house and he's holding, like, you know, a six-pack of beer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's obviously that he's coming into the scene for this, like, kind of lighthearted, like, hey, man, let's drink thing. Diffusing it, Diffusing yeah. a situation. And the first time, it's kind of 
it, it's clearly an excuse for him to come and break up the conflict that's happening between yeah. Truman and his, you know, character wife. Mm. Um, and then the second time is when Truman's gone missing and they're panicking and they mm-hmm. send him out. And when he, he drives up to the house, he parks the car, he's really tense. The first thing you see is the beer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh yeah, he's he's doing the thing again where he's going to try to defuse the situation. But the way that this actor is behaving before he yeah, gets yeah, into yeah. the character is just completely betraying that idea. And that's mm. something that always stuck with me. Yeah, it's a nice little little touch. There's so many obvious touches of these actors acting in the show, but there's like nice little micro-expressions and stances and moments like that that are sprinkled throughout the entire thing that I, I think are really effective. I, I like the whole sequence of events in which Truman is pretending like he's back to normal. Mm. He's like, hey, I'm back at work, and hey, there's that one. Well, give me the googly eyes, and oh, it's these two twin guys, and they want to buy the insurance. Oh, let's do it today. Next week? Okay, then. And him doing that whole pretending sequence, because you know he's you know he's pretending, <laughs> but the film doesn't tell you straight away. It still leads you down the path, yeah. because then the film switches to them finding out that he was pretending and them figuring out where he was and he's gone for a section then you find he's on the boat and yeah because uh, that whole sequence of events was also very thrilling because it's very fun to it's like a procedural they're trying to find the man and get him and mm. although we're against these people there is just something in the realm of entertainment is very enjoyable watching a group of people get together and try to solve the problem, hence I love Star Trek. I keep mentioning that. I love Star Trek for, because it's about a group of people who are really good at their jobs trying to problem solve. Mm-hmm. Even though we're not on Christoph's side and we're against him, I kind of want him to figure it out. And figure. And when he go, does, it's really well done. You're like, of course it's the water. Where else would he go? And then figuring out the thing and he's on the boat. And I like how someone asks them, like, how does he know how to sail a boat when he's like... An insurance guy or accountant guy or whatever. It's like, well, you see, that back in his childhood, you see his father. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and you got the contrast of, like, when the bus driver has to drive the ferry. And he's like, I'm not a bus driver. I'm, I'm just an actor. I'm an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a nice scene, too, of when the bus driver fucked up the bus. Not because he was trying to do it on purpose, but because he didn't know how to drive a bus. Mm. But he did it anyway. And that whole sequence where he's like, Hey, kid. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm son. sorry. And you're yeah. like, oh, he's not talking about the bus. Yeah, I guess another, <laughs> another. Oh, yeah, it's a good point. Um, another thing that that is interesting for this film in terms of watching it and enjoying it is, um, we learned that in improvisation, when you do it well, it's funny, and when you fuck up, it's funny because yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. watching these people trying to, you know, kind of solve the situation, and that's a thing in this film as well, where mm. these people are acting in a, in a, I guess the term we learned was alternative space. Yes, I guess, um, and they're they're keeping to a general idea, the directions they've been given. We know that there are first positions. We know that lines are being fed sometimes. So when Truman is starting to un- discover everything and he's trying to throw a wrench in all these plans, mm. you see a lot of these people panic. 
Mm. And it's almost like you're seeing a movie fuck up because you're watching a movie mm. and it's 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 fun. Like when he's going to the, the, the hotel yeah, 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 and he gets thrown out and the people are clearly panicking. Yeah, and the doors aren't. And, or even minorly when he goes to the travel insurance, like the travel place and they don't have anyone there and they needed to obviously, they needed to obviously call some woman to come <laughs> yeah. in and he's like waiting around. She's like got the makeup thing still on because mm. they had to put makeup on her and... Silly stuff like that. Obviously, one of the great aspects of the movie is the back and forth between him and his wife Mm -hmm. character. Because it is clear to us, the audience, that she's very on board for being a part of the propaganda machine. Like, it's so crystal clear while the friend like we said there's something about him where it's like eh, somewhat feels genuine but she out of all the characters is the one where it's like oh she's the stooge for the company she's yeah. the plant in in the in the in the flashback <laughs> when they were trying to pretend that they're all children by just combing their hair differently that was very fun <laughs> and jim carrey was doing like his goofy voice where he's like i'm a young guy <laughs> that was great. He had very much Jerry Lewis energy in that, I felt. Yeah, he reminded me of Nicolas Cage's voice in G-Force. Oh, right, yeah, the mole. <laughs> the mole, which Nicolas Cage also used in a movie where he was pretending to be a teenage version yes, of a character. Yes, you told me that. You told me uh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, who married Peggy <laughs> yeah. Sue. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I was going to say was um, in the in the special feature documentary thing, uh, one, of the inter- one of the most interesting parts of that was listening to the best friend character and the mm. wife character um, well, sorry, they're actors talking about uh, the backstories that they created for the characters. Mm, and, mm. you know, even though this is death of the author, the stuff that they talked about really does fit in with, like, the things that we kind of get when we watch the film. So, like, the best friend character talks... Sorry, the best friend's actor talks about how, mm. um, you know, this guy had to play Truman's best friend when he was the age of seven. Yeah. So he had to grow up with this lie. And also because he's always next to... Truman, yeah. even as he was growing up, there is a sort of genuine friendship there, and that's kind of mm. what we were getting. And with the... What's her name? Laura... Linney. Laura Linney. She was talking about how this character is, you know, corporate stooge. It's like, whenever she successfully uh, does a product placement and becomes successful, and whenever she gets to have sex with Truman, she gets a big bonus. And so you yeah. see in the film, like, oh yeah, she's always pushing towards those two things. Yeah, she's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, when he g- gets her in the car. Yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing sequence of events. And go, like that yeah. whole that her whole trying thing. to her trying to save the whole thing. I love when she's so happy that they got over the bridge, but then she realizes, oh no, because <laughs> she's like, I didn't want to. I just thought we were gonna die for a moment there, but oh, we got over the bridge. But yay! And then she's like, oh no. Um, and even her last time, she's like, this is unprofessional. Yeah. Fuck. Help me. <laughs> Somebody do something. Uh, I love, yeah, the old neighbor with the bin all the time and that stupid <laughs> dog who then, I like the touch. It's so stupid that the dog was acting too because we get to see what the dogs really like. It's like a hound guard yeah, dog. Yeah, it's like a bloodthirsty dog. But yeah. in the other times, it's like a happy-go-lucky yay. It's a performer too, which is yeah, that, so that, weird, that but climax, it's great. That, that climax <laughs> scene where all these familiar actors are now acting as their real selves, like the, the twins. Oh, the twins with the different accents now <laughs> and they're like much gruffer and yeah, yeah meaner. The, pa- the parents who, we, oh. you know, we had the whole thing with the best friend growing up with them, but they were you know, looking after this kid as he was growing mm. up, but they're still detached. Yeah. yeah. it's really sad. The best 
performance to me in the movie. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey's great, but it's it's Ed Harris. Christoph. I, I don't see a performance. I I, I, be- I believe that's a real guy. Mm-hmm. He nails it. Obviously, there's a Steve Jobs inspiration there, but I think he just transcends beyond. I think this is one of those great performances in which it's like everything about him is wrong, but I believe that he believes it. Mm. And since he believes it, I believe in the narrative, and thus I believe in him as a character. And I'm sure he had like documents and pages and pages of notes of saying what his character's backstory was. Yeah. And he's internalized ten, and he's specifically ten pages. And yeah. he's and he's showing it through his performance. But boy, I've always liked Ed Harris. He's one of those underrated actors, and he basically plays the same character in Snowpiercer, where he's like the head of this whole thing, and he talks to the hero in a very eloquent way and tries to gently convince them to keep perpetuating the gruesome situation, and the hero rejects that. Um, Basically the same character, except when Snowpiercer, they're actually in the same room and they're interacting face-to-face, mm-hmm. but uh, I love him in this movie. There's just something cold and warm about him. He He does a great balance between those two things, of being so cold and yet so warm, and yeah, it's, he, it's a masterstroke of a performance. It's not that he's just got this twisted love for Truman, or just that he's in it for the ratings and the money. There's clearly mm. both going on. He's in it for the art, too. Yeah, like, you see that scene where, like, you got that really big screen of, with the... With the Truman night, on it. Yeah, sleeping. night vision sleeping Truman, mm. and he, like, just strokes across the nose <sighs> in a moment of privacy. Yeah, and how he treats all the other staff as well. I mean, Paul Giamatti's in the movie. We'll talk about Paul. He'll get his own little section. <laughs> but I loved him in this movie. I always think of Ed Harris as, as, as Christoph. He's, he's a great actor, but he's always... He just encapsulates this role so perfectly. This arrogance, yet supreme brilliance. You can see from just the way he performs, you don't need the exposition scene to tell you how Christoph managed to convince the world that this was a great idea mm-hmm. because Christoph existing as a character convinces me that he managed to do that yeah, sometime 30 years ago. It's the acting, the performance, even the costume. Oh, the glasses and how much he fiddles with those and takes yeah. them on and off. And like, I'm actually starting to wonder if I was slightly inspired by this for our university performance. Uh, he... The way he strokes things as well, where they're so tender, love, like you said, the big screen, but also near the end, he's got the little one on his lap. And even when he rests his head on it, when he knows he's failed, and it's like, in another actor's hands, that's like typical corny 101 stuff. But the way he like gently falls into it and his body is just so frail and like, I'm defeated, but... He's still got this kind of noble quality to him, like this air of, of authority. He's an artist about it all. Yeah, and you could see why um, in Darren Aronofsky's film, Mother, mm. they cast him to be the Adam character. Uh, <laughs> because that movie's all about like, hey, do you remember the Bible? Um, that's that movie. It's like, what happens if all of this was the Bible and him and Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Adam and Eve... They might kind of make her like more of a Lilith type character, but she's supposed to be Eve. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, Ed Harris is so fucking good. Jim Carrey's great. All of them are great. Laura Linney, but Paul Giamatti. Is this the youngest we've had Paul on the show? Have we had any other 90s films with him in it? I don't think so. Yeah, it's all been 2000s, I think. 
And yet he still looks so old. <laughs> he doesn't look very different. Has he ever looked young? Maybe maybe it's the like curse and he's blessing. He's probably around you. our age when he did this. Think about that. It's probably because we're like 27, turning 28. Like hmm. He's probably around our age, maybe a couple years older. And yet, if you asked me, how old is Paul Giamatti in this movie? I would say 39. He just looks so like a guy who's like in his midlife. And yet, when you think of him in the movie, in the movie, in the script, his character is fresh-faced young intern guy helping out the station or whatever. But it's like he's he's got seniority over like one guy. Yeah, but he's still like young enough to not be like, you know, this is like four or five years before Big Fat Liar. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Like, think about I didn't, that. I didn't think of that aspect of it. He And he has a goatee? Yeah. He doesn't... Yeah, far out. Yeah, right? Isn't that nuts to think about? Yeah, this was way before Lady I, I didn't water. confirm how old he was in this, but he's he's definitely... He definitely feels... He's always felt that way. That's why when we see Paul Giamatti in something today, I'm like, oh, man, he's always kind of the same. Even though he has aged and he has gotten mm. broader, he, he just has always had, like, a a 55-year-old energy to him. Like, he always feels like someone who's, like, about to have a midlife crisis energy to him. In this, it feels like he's about to have a midlife crisis about the whole entire thing. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah, well, during the climax, he was kind of resisting Christoph a little bit, like, because he was in charge of, like, the weather effects. What do you think about seeing Paul Giamatti in a a more successful, serious role? Because he's not being funny in this. Mm. Um, he's got the one scene where he's like slacking off and then he gets caught and he's like oh I was just letting the guy yeah but overall how did you feel because we've always had him be silly even in something like Lady in the Water which is him trying to be in a serious role milk moustache that's all I'll say milk bug so bug that's right he had a stutter in that film how could you forget he also dressed like fucking Shaggy from Scooby Doo how could you fucking forget Lady in the Water? Was that the... Was that the... Scrunt. <laughs> yes, was that the one that Matthew Lillard liked one of our tweets? Yeah, Matthew Lillard liked our tweet about a picture of Matthew Lillard as Shaggy and Paul Giamatti looking like Shaggy in Lady in Water and I who asked wore who better. wore it better. <laughs> and I asked Matthew Lillard to please reply with an objective answer. You can't just say, oh, it's me. And he never replied, but he did like that comment as well. Like, he knows, <laughs> guys, I've got to be objective on this one. Maybe in a year's time, he'll hit me up and let me know who maybe, wore better. Maybe he's still composing his response. Yeah, he's he's building up his shaggy energy. He's he, like Venom. He's waiting for it to calm down a bit. Not Venom, the character, but Venom, like the actual thing. In I was going to say, I think Twin Peaks, the returns where he has to calm down from. Um, But what do you think? We we're used to making jokes. Oh, it's Paul Giamatti. Yeah. But in this, he's he's actually serving a serious plot element. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? Was it weird? Yeah, this. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess he and Jim Carrey kind of were both giving a more you know serious performance. Yeah, I guess for us. I mean, I don't know if Paul Giamatti was doing silly shit before this, because yeah. in all honesty. What we've done on the pod with Giamatti is kind of like the oddities in his career because usually he's in like, oh, he should have got an Oscar Mm. role, right? Usually like, oh, him in Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe and and like stuff like that where it's like, oh, he's a really... Like we we both know he's a great actor Mm -hmm. sideways and stuff like that. But 
Yeah, Lady with, of the Water. With what we've done on the pod, we've seen it when he's openly done shit, funny, crazy, Children, nonsense children's, children's films, yeah. films or like adult comedies that are silly. And it's like, those are oddities. But for us, it's like, oh, here he is in Truman's show. I was waiting for him to do some goofy shit and he never did. And I was like, ah. Honestly, yeah, when I think back to my other viewings of the Truman show, like, I only really remember the shot of, like, Christoph telling him to, you know, turn it up. And, like, he mm. looks back with, like, this nervous look. Like, honestly, I didn't even remember that he had really other scenes. I thought he was just kind of, like, almost an extra in a way. Well, it was before we all knew who Giamatti was, I think. I think he was still on the up and up. Mm. I don't know what film made him. I think, I would say Sideways, probably. Well, Big Fat Liar, yeah. Big Fat Liar, you're he, right. He yeah. turned blue. He t- <laughs> he got he didn't turn blue. They made him blue. Yeah, yeah. Good it's point. not like yeah. well, you know. Well, we all get a little sad sometimes, Bartek. <laughs> no, I'm literally blue. <laughs> I I I keep blaming myself. I don't think other people did it to me. Yeah. So that's the Truman Show. I think we both recommend it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the only other thing that I wanted to bring up was the actual filming location, the town. Oh yeah, yeah. How th- I w- I believe I knew this, but hearing it in the special features that this is actually a real town, yeah, was honestly like, oh, I really needed confirmation for that because it just looks like this super manufactured location. That's American towns for you. Yeah. Well, it's this one town in Florida somewhere. That's Florida for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the Truman Show. Thanks for recommending it, Bartzik. I believe it is my recommendation now for the next episode. I know it. You do? I know it's your recommendation. I don't know what your recommendation is. I know oh, it no, is no, I was, your... I was saying, like, you do know it's mine. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Can you confirm it? I give you confirmation and permission. Oh, you're a Catholic priest now? You're giving me confirmation? And permission. Oh, and permission. Do That's they what do priests that? do, yeah. Do they give you permission too? I give you permission to say amen and take the bread. Oh, give, sorry, sorry, the body. I give you permission to get down on your knees. Um, oh, sorry, that's just what my priest said. So, um... <laughs> Wait, I, did he do something? No. No, I did the things. So, um... <laughs> so he didn't even pray. <laughs> he, he he made some noises. But um, we are going to be talking about, for the next one, uh, the, a two, 2016 film called Christine. Mm-hmm. From 2016, not the 1980s movie called Christine by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a movie about a talking car or a demonic car. This is a true life story movie. Okay. Uh, Christine, uh, starring Rebecca Hall. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it. I would love it if you could try not to look up anything about the story itself. Just watch I will, the movie. I will look up nothing. I don't know who's in it. I'll just watch Rebecca it. Rebecca Hall. She's in it. So uh, Annie Hall. <laughs> a Hall. A Hall. But um, yeah, I said Annie Hall. But... Annie Hall. But yeah, because. It's one of those ones where I knew before watching it what the real-life story is about, and I'm always curious to know what someone who doesn't know what the true-life story is about... That'll be me. ...watching it and seeing, like, how did the film stand on that merit in comparison to me, where I knew what it was and the film stood in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking about Christine from 2016 next time. Sure. Uh, Bartek, where can people find us on the social medias? 
You can find us on the internet, on the social medias. We are on Facebook. You can find our page on Spit and Polish Presents. We're also on Twitter under the name Spit and Polish Presents. Yep. If you simply Google us, you'll find all the places. We upload on Podbean, and that goes on to Apple Podcasts, Google Play. YouTube. We put it on YouTube where you can comment. Yeah, and you can email us with your questions, queries, concerns, and your own recommendation for films on those social medias, as well as our email, spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of this stuff is in the description of this episode. Yep. Well, Bartek, uh, the episode is over now, and I've realized that I've actually been recording not this episode, but my whole life has been recorded, and this podcast is uh, is a lie, hmm. and everything is false, and you're in on it. Yeah. My favorite season was when you were seven. <laughs> Thank you. I like that season of my life, too. It was very good. Yeah. You weren't in it, but it was very my good. My English wasn't the best back then, but the visuals really hold up. 